right, Dan, how's it going? I am good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. I always want to call you Dan because when I call you Daniel. I just want to say Daniel San because I've been watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> it's so. a funny thing in that I would say that because for a long time I found I was like slightly uncomfortable with the name Daniel and it never really felt like me because no one really called it me. Like basically, there was a lot of Jewish boys who were born from about 1975 to about 1995 were called Daniel. Right. Like it always used to be the most popular name of all the births in the Jewish Chronicle. And I know this because my parents had a slightly unusual friend who would count them all and then send a list every Jewish New Year. And nice. I'd be in classes at school with like four or five boys called Daniel. Right. So I was always Harris. And the only, oh, people, right. who, okay. the only people who really call me Daniel were my parents. Yes. Like my friends either call me Harris or Dan or one of many, uh, many, other, many other things. And, um, but yeah, since then I've had wives and they usually call you Daniel, <laughs> not even just when they're annoyed with you now, Daniel, well, almost no one calls me Edward because uh, I don't know. It just seems so bloody formal, doesn't it? When our boys were born, we looked down lists of popular names and discarded anything in the top 150, basically <laughs> for so that reason. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we had Ralph and Ralph on uh, Saturday. Sunday morning. Saturday oh, morning. Oh, man. When Saturday Ralph Hussenthal was taking the piss out of you, what a terrible state of affairs. Wow. He's got that Ralph Ragnick style of very clear communication, doesn't he, Hussenthal? And he just dissected United in the post-match presser. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, like, there's more, like, undertones and overtones of arrogance, I, get, I think, you get from Hussenthal that you don't quite get from Ragnick. Yes. Like, he's yeah. really, like, he's got that kind of Allardyce brendan thing of he really wants you to know how clever he is yes yeah that's true and these southampton side are, you know hot and cold and you kind of know how they play but i thought they were they were pretty good against yeah was, i mean you, you, you don't want to start finding excuses for united but yeah it probably was not the greatest time to play them i'd seen i watched them play tottenham in midweek and they played yeah. really well yeah. they were as we must now say in a good moment yeah <laughs> yes they're set up as they always set up i, I was chatting to to Tom in the midweek pod, it's you know Ragnick has has uh, left the Red Bull group of playing styles, and he's he's now a splitter from that, and not playing the four two 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 anymore, which Southampton deploys reasonably successfully, I suppose. But they cause you know, all sorts of problems. And the thing that Hasenhutl said after the match, which kind of I, I think will resonate with everyone, was basically we knew they would drop off, and as soon as their intensity dropped off from the front, we were able to play through them. And it was just like, yep, well, that's exactly what happened. I think, yeah, that was, that was one of the things. And the other thing he said was that they, they're not used to, um, he said there's no big secret that when they lose the board, the reverse gears are not the best from everybody, yes. which yes. is even more damning. That's just not like you're not fit enough to run for 90 minutes. Is that you, you can't be asked. Well, that's true. There was one moment where Harry Maguire was caught in possession in mid, sort of midfield and he does push fairly far forward, doesn't he, Maguire? And it's always a risk because his... His um, recovery pace is non-existent. And it was more than that. He was just jogging. I was like, man, just at least show, even if it's just for the PR effort of making it look like you're making an effort. And him and Shaw were just jogging back and it's like, ugh. And Shaw got caught playing everyone onside for the Southampton goal. Again. Again. Again, it's a theme, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think, I mean, United have, we talked about decisions last week. And I think one of the things I've been thinking about, I mean, these word tight decisions is that, when you're not good, you need, and it's not just, I'm not just talking about decisions here. You need, you need the run of the ball in right. order to keep getting results. And United are not getting the run of the ball in whatever you want to call it. Having those three goals disallowed in a week for really marginal defences by the yeah. same bloke. Yeah. Which I did, didn't realise at the time. And you can see also just when they play, like the balls aren't kind of like against Burnley, the ball be knocking about in the box and it won't, it won't fall. Because when you're not good as United aren't, and when you're not got confidence, you need things to go for you. And football being a chaotic game is often like that. They're not good enough to ride those things not going for them. And it feels like that's what we're seeing at the moment. And not that Luke Shaw failing to step out is exactly that. That's just Luke Shaw. And I think one of the things with this team that they, they share, a lot of them, is a lack of game intelligence. Yeah, oh, for sure. And especially when things are not uh, running in their favour. They don't seem to be able to fall back on a system or a pattern of play in order to, like, take the bad form out of it. In the way that City City can, like, if an individual player is not playing or a group of them are not playing that well, 
They've always got the system to fall back on. They know, they know what they're doing. They yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rang the, what, what, back for the running, that one of the things we talked about after West Ham was that the most obvious change in that game for all the guffs that people talk about systems and coaching and this and that is really the putting in of effort. Yeah. The putting yeah. in of lots and lots of effort against West Ham. That was there and they got their reward. At the end, as West Ham tied and United had good changes that they were able to make. And we're not seeing that this time. Like, just from the goal, was it Rashford not not coming, not tracking back? Exactly. And it Rashford all... and Pogba on that side of the pitch kind of being a bit... Mm, and it all, it all comes from there. And you don't know what their instructions are. So sometimes feel slightly uncomfortable chastising the players for not putting effort in because maybe they've been told not to, not, not, not to put effort in, but maybe they've been told to stay high and wide, the wide players. But... It just seems so unlikely, given we know how West Ham seem like the best exhibition so far of how Rangnick wants them to play. Right. I think that I think that's fair. And I think we have a, a sense. I mean, we have a sense from his career anyway, even if he hasn't been coaching much in the last sort of decade or so, of what he wants. And and what are we into fifteen games or so into his time at United now? And it's it, you kind of get a sense of what he wants and. There's, it feels very clear, again, I don't know, but it feels very clear that the players are either unable or unwilling to execute on all parts of the plan for the whole game. Yeah, he said, I thought, that I, I read through, because he's grown on me a bit, actually. Like, I was, in the first few weeks, I found it quite disappointing how crap they were. Right. Because it felt like when, when you've just been battered 4-1 by Watford, it's impossible not to improve after that. Yeah. And obviously they got some good results under Carrick, but you would have thought just by virtue of someone else coming in, it felt like you could bring in Neil Warnock and still get much better. And that didn't really happen. Well, like Steady on. <laughs> the, 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 the nadir of that was that game at home to Wolves. Yes. Where you kind of felt like, what on earth is he doing? Where is it going? Like Since then, it's become, it seems that there's a bit more clarity. And I felt like reading his quotations before the game, Felt like he was absolutely onto them. <laughs> like he'd really pinpointed everything that was crap about them. He said, they realised that we controlled the game. He's talking about Burnley. But then again, if we concede a goal against Burroughs after 65 to 70 minutes, we should just stick to the game plan. Not all of a sudden lose shape or lose composure. And that's back to the, what you were saying just a second ago, that they don't have that. And it's, it keeps happening that when things stop going the way that they want, they're, they're able to produce these good first halves because they've got good players. But then as soon as things stop going right, they start to lose faith in what they're doing. And that, to me, that line there, it sort of really sounded like he's calling them weak. You can't yes. cope with things not going your way. And it was, it was quite a nice way of putting it. It was a polite way in, in the, I mean, yeah, Roy Keane would call them weak. And I think he has several yeah, and times. The thing that, and what I thought, when I started to think, I was kind of start going through the players and you think, well, who are the weak ones? Because... The ones, the ones who are obviously mentally weak, like they don't, it doesn't massively stand out. Well, where you kind of, it's not like when Wenger's Arsenal teams towards the end, where you like the one to 11 and you just be laughing at like, yeah. These Which guys, one are you going to beat up this week? Yeah, it's yeah. not quite these, it's not quite that with these guys. And then I just kind of started to think maybe it's because there's low game intelligence and it's that, yep. or maybe it's because over the last kind of five years or so, their collective confidence has been whittled away so they've had to they've had various managers it doesn't work under any of them nothing that anyone tells them to do seems to happen yeah and so rather than marcus rasher's weak or bruno which is not or bruno fernandez is weak but collectively when things start going wrong they don't believe in their ability as players to sort it out and they don't yeah. believe in the instructions of the manager to sort it out because there's no real proof that these things work they don't rely on themselves and they can't rely on the instructions for the last five years or whatever. I, I think that's true of all sports teams, isn't it? You, you really have to have faith in your plan. And if you don't have utter faith in your plan, when it starts to go wrong, then that confidence and that belief in the system falls away. And yeah, there's no proof at all. In fact, you can say five years, it's nine years, isn't it? There's no proof at all that anything works. I mean, I guess I, only because some of them, there's only, there's only a few of them that have been there. There's only just Jones and De Gea that have been there since, since Moyes. That's it. But, you know, they're emanating the stench of failure over those years as well. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in, it's in, it's in the water. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, once again, United, after a, a decent first half, I mean, 20 minutes, they, as Ragnick said, they, they were a bit loose and they let Southampton have a few chances. But... 
got the goal. Yeah, decent goal, wasn't it? A decent ball. It's from great goal. Mark. Yeah, Marcus. And the finish from Jaden, who is perhaps the one bright spark over the last few games. Because and... he's the one who, he's not tainted yet. <laughs> he, well, that's right. He's not yet for the United. So he's still able to find some joy and some success. Uh, Ragnick said afterwards, that's the Jaden I know from the Bundesliga. And, and he is getting closer to that. And um, it probably helps him with the positioning on the left as well. You I, know, knows... I mean, I know what you mean. I, I, I sort of prefer him on the right, particularly in this team, because I feel like Rashford's better on the left. And also, if you've got Ronaldo, which it appears we do, then someone you can cross and put balls to the front post. The same with Cavani is would be quite helpful and what we're seeing is Rashford's not giving enough on, I think feel like Sancho would give us more on the right than Rashford does and we'd lose less on the left by putting Rashford there and we'd be Rashford just doesn't look much of a goal threat on the right I'm not sure no he's not he's not, he's certainly not and he doesn't feel comfortable going on the outside of a player either so he always wants to cut in as does Sancho really I mean it's, uh, I, yeah, I don't know the balance of the trade-offs, but there's definitely a trade-off there when United have like 17 players who want to play on the left. And <laughs> no on the, I mean, it's the, it's the joke, isn't it? United could really do with a right winger this summer. And they buy one and they still <laughs> yeah. want to pick him there. Yeah. And they could still do with a right winger this summer, yeah. Could probably do with a striker as well. Striker this summer is essential now. Yeah. I, well, I mean, a striker yesterday is essential, but yeah, they... Absolutely must sign on this summer now. Look, look like we're stocked with forwards, but then Rashford doesn't want to play there. Ronaldo is waning and seemingly fast. Cavani is never fit, as we spoke about last time out. And, and Greenwood may be doing 10 to 15 at Her Majesty's pleasure. We'll see. I mean, the so. thing, yeah, I think, I think the thing with Ronaldo is that it's a, the, if he was anyone else, he'd have been dropped by now. Sure. And... The problem is difficult when you have these players, it's difficult to drop them. And him and Maguire also feel like if Maguire wasn't the captain, he'd also have been dropped by now. Yeah. But it's at the point where Ronaldo hasn't scored since an open play since when? December the 30th. Yeah, he's just... And was that Nor a penalty? I can't remember. Norwich. Yeah, it was at Norwich. Uh, yeah, or maybe Burnley. He scored against Norwich and Burnley, didn't he? He's not worth his place in the team. No. And... I mean, you don't have that many options. I mean, the only thing you got, Cavani is never fit. So you could either, you could either play Bruno there uh, as a false nine and play yep. a midfit, play another midfield player because we've got so many good ones of them. <laughs> or, I mean, then you're more thinking about Ralph's 4-2-2-2 again. Or, or you bring, put Alanga in and you play, I don't know who plays in the middle of those three. Rashford Alanga's played there at the 23s. I mean, Charlie McNeil's around, but he's very young. I don't think he's ready. No, it will be. I mean, if it's any, I'm sure if it's some, it will yeah. have to be Alanga, I guess, or Cavani. But I, I mean, I kind of feel like he's trying to cricket out, as <laughs> they would say in Yiddish, uh, until, the, until the Champions League starts again, in the hope that somehow he'll hear the music and he'll suddenly I, revert to Champions League Ronaldo. I don't think he has faith in his body to do what he might have done in the past. So you see good examples of that against Southampton where he doesn't follow up on a shot. I mean, he had that shot fairly early on, didn't he, where he broke through and just was flapping his arms when the ball's bouncing around in the box. You're like, ah, Because the one where he goes it. around the keeper as well, and it's just like, you're seeing that guy lift it. Like, those finishes, I just, I was so surprised to see him finish like that because those finishes, you have to lift them. Well, I don't think he can defy physics, basically, or, you know, sorry, biology. It's not physics, is it? I, look, he's 37 years old. And as fit as he is and as conditioned as he is, he put in 120 minutes against Borough. And, OK, it was only half an hour against Burnley. But, I, you know, I suspect he's suffering for that. He doesn't seem it's the final time because he's adapted this game so many times. If you think about it, he was, he was yeah. brilliant as a right winger. Then over the course of a couple of seasons, yeah. he developed as a left winger. Then, then a centre forward. He's been all these things. As I said this last time, I'm not sure he's quite adapted now to yeah. He has to be a poacher. That's it. Just just be a poacher, and then there's a chance. But he's not doing that, and he's playing badly. The team aren't playing well. They're not getting results, and I don't know. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd be surprised if he got left out against Brighton, but I would be leaving him out at this point. Yeah, I, I would. And look, it's not that I have a particular agenda against him, although he is a unpleasant narcissist. Yeah, I do, and possibly worse. Than that. <laughs> I, I do have an agenda against him, but that's, that's not why. That's not why. If because then it's just would have been what well, don't sign him to begin with. But now, now he's here and he's playing. We're just trying to talk about it in purely yeah. football terms. 
got only 30, 33 touches yesterday and and I think he had four shots, two on target and neither of them really troubled the keeper. His, like whether it's just his performance, his movement, his work rate, his kind of body language, which I think is really negative. And the constant, the constant stories that and he might be off in the summer, which is obviously being briefed by Mendes, and it, it just doesn't feel like he's benefiting the team. But that's again it is that if you look at where United want to go, he's not going to be part of that. So if he's playing what's crap, point? yeah, it doesn't. It's just what's the point in playing him? Just play a langer and let's yeah. see where we get to, because it couldn't. Again, like we're can't where you can't when you're kind of at that bottom level of achievement. So they're now organised. They're not tossing goals in every five seconds. They're not playing particularly well. But if you swapped Ronaldo for Elanga, we wouldn't. Had Elanga had played the last three games, we wouldn't have fewer points. We might have the same number of points. There's a very strong chance we'd have the same number of points. But all but he didn't play against Burnley when United were playing well. Anyway, he wasn't really involved in all the good football against uh, Borough before before they messed that one up. Yeah, and he did similarly. Like, wasn't was the the good performance against West Ham wasn't really him? It just it wouldn't be that different without him. And if you're looking to build something, I mean, there is still you're trying against the Champions League next season. And I mean, what an absolute battle of morons that is! It's amazing that United are even in that. To be honest, I mean, you're looking at West Ham, Spurs, Arsenal, and probably Wolves, given their victory over Tottenham. All of like some of them have to drop points. Basically, United have to achieve better than all of them. I imagine, I haven't looked at the models, but I imagine the 538 model is not giving United more than like a 15% chance of making the Champions League. I'm not sure how often the 538 model is accurate necessarily. I don't know. It's an indicator that I'm not sure that United, I wouldn't make them favourites from here. It's We're lucky, I suppose, if that's if, if that's the goal that everyone else is inconsistent and a bit crap too. Yes, so I think that what I would say about these teams, those four teams, is of all those teams, United's top level is is by far the highest. Higher than the rest. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, easily. It doesn't Arsenal, I think if Arsenal win the games in hand, they're five ahead. But Arsenal's games in hand are Chelsea, uh, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Liverpool, I think. So they'll do well to get five points out of that. To get four points out of those, sorry. So it is is right there, but United's march is taxing and it felt like if they were going to do it, the work would have had to have been pretty much done by now to give them some breathing space. Exactly. Dropping points against Southampton and Burnley, it could, it's the kind of points you drop that, that come back to bite you, don't they? Yeah. If they don't get top four and we look back, this will be a period that we look at these last yeah. few games where they've been tossing leads. If they're still in with a shout at the end of March, then they'll have a good chance, yeah. I would say. I mean, they've got to beat Brighton on Tuesday and there's no particular reason to think they will. And, and and that's going to be a difficult one. And like it, the manner in which they gave the goal away against Southampton, I mean, it's a good goal from Shea, Shea Adams. They, you know, it's a nice move and finish. But just again, two minutes after the break. And the man over, the fact that it was a good finish, as you say, but the fact that there was also a man over in the middle and Luke Shaw yep. playing offside. Um, one of the things that Rank, yep. Rank said afterwards that I found quite annoying was he talked about, he was talking about the XG actually. And he used the XG to yes. prove that we basically dominated the game. And the XG does suggest that, but we watched the game. Although Jaden Sancho's goals are about yeah. 0.6, you know, so it's juiced all so the XG. XG so. is like, for me anyway, like I don't find it particularly useful for looking at one game. If you want to look at a raft no. of gamers that you haven't watched and see you deserve to win them or look for a trend, like I totally get why XG yes. is useful up to a point there. But for looking at one situation, your eyes are much better. Yeah, and I think most of the most of the nerds who produce the models would say the same thing as well. Very good at telling you anything about a single game. It's not for that, and also yeah, because it doesn't measure it doesn't measure particular players either. So if you see two players running through on goal, if you see, I mean, I said Rash, Rashford and Martial running through on goal, the XG of both will be exactly yeah. the same because it's measuring the chance. But if you've watched them play, you obviously know that Martial's a better one-on-one finisher than Rashford, and it doesn't measure which foot it's on or any of that stuff. But also, just looking at that game. Southampton were much better in the second half. United could easily have lost that game and didn't. And it felt more like they'd got away with one than it was, oh man, I can't believe they deserved to win that and they yeah. didn't. Which was much more how I felt after Burnley, after Villa, yeah. where it felt like, okay, they should have won those games and they didn't. I, I agree. Southampton could have won yesterday's game. Coming back to the the Champions League and the importance of it, and it, like, it feels like we've become Arsenal because we're talking about like, how crucial it is, but 
everything goes backwards for the club if if they're not in the Champions League. It's a fifty million pound hit on the finances, which the Glazers aren't personally going to eat. It's uh, United already have quite an overhead on transfers. There's not that much margin on the FFP. It's one of those things where that's the difference between a top quality midfielder coming into the club or not. There are five players out of contract. I mean, one of them's Lee Grant, so four players out of con- contract, shall we say. It's going to have to be replaced either with kids or purchases. There are another six out of contract in 23. I don't know what Murtard does or whether he has any power, but the squad management here is a, just an absolute disaster. And we know that United have no ability to bring in more than, say, three players anyway. So, you know, add champion, lack of Champions League on top of that, and it's not looking very pretty it's just so, it just means so many things. It's the whole, I mean, I, it's not about like, oh, we've got to get top four, top four's a trophy. I don't look at it in those terms, but in terms of the mood around the club, yeah, that yeah. engenders the mood that enables you to try and actually try and do something proper that actually means something. Fin- finishing in the top four, it's attractive to players that w- you want to sign that will help you get better. It's attractive to managers that you might want to get. And it just means, sure. makes you feel less miserable about the whole affair it's yeah. really as simple as that like those seasons in the Europa League have not been a pleasure in the same way like obviously this season's not been a this season's not been a pleasure either that this season's not been a pleasure either but if we didn't have the Champions League the Champions League is the only thing really to look forward to at this point if we were looking forward yep. instead to the Europa League all you're really hoping with the Europa League is you're either you're hoping you, you, if you're going that you get good away trips or you're hoping otherwise that you win it like that's it like, whereas yep. here, you think it's more, you know, I'm saying Atletico Madrid, we can win that one. A good performance over two days will beat Atletico Madrid. If United play well, they will win. I completely agree. I just can't imagine how dreadful it'd be. I mean, Europa League we're used to. Conference, where you're playing like FC something from Kazakhstan on a Thursday night and there's a 5,000 mile trip back and they're absolutely dreadful and there's zero motivation to play any of the senior, senior players. I just, I just can't see the value of any of that at all. And also, no, no European football is dreadful as well. Just because, I mean, I, I remember the remember the season after Moyes, yeah, when we got knocked out of the uh, League Cup by MK Dons. Yes, yeah, I was was that 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 was fun. I stayed up we're really losing four 0 to MK Dons, God. But when and it's just in the first half of the season, there's almost no football. Yeah, and. Ultimately, like we like the football, it's meant to be a pleasure. It's meant to be a treat. It's meant to be a routine. And yeah. if there isn't any of it, it's crap. Well, at this stage, it's an addiction, to be honest with me. Yeah, like, yeah, but that's yeah. fine. That's good. I mean, yeah. I mean, most of the things that one can get addicted to, we get addicted to things mainly because we like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're good. And um, just having so little football, which is also possible, it could also just not be in Europe at all. Yeah, I think it'd definitely be better to not be in Europe than be in the conference. The Europa League are long-term running out. It's worth some money. It's worth some glory. There's some some focus on it. it we had some good times in recent years, a final, a semi-final, the victory in Stockholm, even if Jose did his best to ruin that game. The conference, though, I mean, it's one twentieth of the money. What it's are they just... conferring about? So Yeah, I know. I don't know. <laughs> why, why is it called that? I had no idea because it's about the standard of the, the old Vauxhall conference, I think. Yeah. Anyway, it'd just be miserable. It'd be miserable. It should just be a conference. You haven't got, you haven't earned the right to actually compete in football. You can go and talk about, I don't know, something to do with football or something not to do with football in an actual conference rather than calling football a conference, which just seems very strange. It, it is. But I think the thing that you were saying about also, when, you, when you're looking at the summer and what to do, then ultimately the big choice is going to be who the new manager is. And again, yep. it's sort of becoming apparent that it needs a messiah. Well, that, isn't that part of United's problem, though? We're always like, we need the messiah to save us. And But everyone but like everyone else has got one. <laughs> but like, ultimately, <laughs> like, Klopp is that for Liverpool. The reason why Liverpool are where they are is is because of Klopp. And you can talk about transfer committees and this and that. As much as you sure. want, it's because Klopp is a messiah. Yeah. And he's yeah. a messiah down to just like the way he behaves, the rabble rousing, all of that, like the cheesiness, all of that stuff. City yeah. don't need it in the same way, but although they ha- also have a brilliant manager because they've got, because yeah. they have their money. They have a ridiculous yeah. amount of money, but United never going to have that ridiculous amount of money. So the only way they were able to compete before was when they had Fergie, the messiah. So now you're going to get a better manager and he'll make a better team. 
For sure, you know, so you've got to be competent around that manager, though. That's that's all. It's not a, it's not a binary. It's just you know, the, it, it, all, it all adds up to a totality of a better functioning club. Yeah, but it um, is going to require yeah. someone who gets the supporters and the players following them, and yeah. that requires a particular kind of personality. I think I don't yeah. I don't know if Ten Hag is that. I mean, I, I've said before. I think he probably is. He'd probably be my choice because I know less about him than Pochettino. And I'd feel like what I know about Pochettino isn't convincing enough, although I really like him. But in terms of personality, the reason, the thing that makes me lean towards Pochettino rather than Ten Hag is because Pochettino wouldn't come in and be daunted. He might be dragged down eventually, presumably, as everyone is. But he would, he's someone who has that more Messiah-style personality where he's very likable. He understands how to rabble-rouse, get the crowd going. Like They loved him at Tottenham. The players loved him. The supporters loved him. They did. And I think For the first four years, at least. And, yeah, yep. it's going gonna, it's gonna to need that, I think. And I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know if Ten Hag has that personality. Well, he's not. He's very dry. I mean, I think he's more like a technocrat. Yeah, he is. It might be why Ragnick, if he has any say in it, probably might lean towards Ten Hag. Because they're um, similar. Yeah, they are similar. And it was a problem at Ajax in the early days of Ten Hag when it wasn't going that well. And and he doesn't have the charisma then to either bring the players or or the fans along with him. And it's only now that he's built a, a very good side. At least, well, at least in European, they're they're actually not going that great in the Eredivisie. But he is a technocrat, and he's kind of yeah a coach. And there's some talk that he might prefer to go work in work in Germany. Although I think if he was dangled the United job, you got to imagine that he he'd be interested. He'd be, in that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he might also want to get away from the kind of Overmars stench, which is. Um, and he yeah, spoke properly about that. Yeah. He, I've got to say, Edwin van der Sar is not, not looking that great right now. With uh, This is an aside, but he admitted yesterday, I think, in an interview that they, they had some signals, he said, that this was going on before they gave Overmars a brand new contract. So I was like, oh, Edwin, don't tell me that you knew he was sexting and, yeah, it's and not, you just it, gave him the contract anyway. Hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not good at all. And, and then you see, you compare it to like Tuchel, because you get some managers who are so obsessed with the football that the only thing that matters is the football. Tuchel was like that. Like he said, almost yep. nothing over the Super League. And then yep. you see that line where he, go, like, where he goes up to Abramovich yesterday. Did you see this? No, I don't know. What's that? So he goes, he, he goes up to Abramovich after they win that thing. The and, Club World Cup, yeah. And he says, uh, let me see, I'll tell you what he says. Um, he says, it is for him. There is no doubt of that. It is for him, said Tuchel of Abramovich. We met quickly on the pitch after the final. You said, congratulations. And I said, congratulations. It's for you. It's your club and it's your input and your passion that made this possible. And I'm happy to be a part of it. So, of course, <laughs> the trophy is for him. <laughs> it's just like, oh, how romantic. Man, some absolute self-respect. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Yeah. Like, who is this guy? This guy committed the largest, calling to Forbes, committed the largest corporate heist of all time. But he's done some absolutely appalling things that caused some appalling suffering for people. The only reason he he doesn't care about football, he cares about staying alive. No one knew who Roman Abramovich was till he bought Chelsea. Now all of a sudden it's hard for him to eat some wonky sushi or to have a Polonian milkshake or whatever. That's the problem with Abramovich. He was obviously in the inner circle, the Putin inner circle, because that allowed him to screw the Russian state of and the Russian people of their natural resources, which is exactly what happened with all the oligarchs after the, the collapse. And then he, it appears that he's not now. So he's basically living on his yacht because he's been excommunicated from the UK as well. Um, and I, like he lives in Israel at the moment, is that And doing right? bad right-wing stuff in Israel as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and then you've got the two nation-state clubs. Well, you know, I, I mean, Newcastle, up and coming, and then City to go with it. It's very easy to make a sort of bare case against United at the moment, given how poorly we function as a club and as a team. And yeah, I'd like to come full circle on your point. Of all the appointments, I, I don't know how they weigh up and which is the most important post-Fergie, and I really need to retire that word at some point. Post-Fergie wilderness years, TM. exactly. But I I don't know if it's more important than the others, but it's really important because United's financials are on the slide, right? It's six years now of flat commercials. They will go down if if there's no Champions League football. Um, There's no prospect of more income coming from match day. Broadcast is flat for the next three years. The club is 
in a poor position. They're relatively now creating, producing less money than Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern, Chelsea and City. This is not the financial behemoth that it once was. And so they can't just muscle their way into getting a good team. They have to be smarter about it. And there's just no sign at all that the club is smarter at any level of the club. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens if with, because Ralph will, I mean, you'll be clear with him because, I mean, it seemed like this was a smart move, at least. Like, we don't know how it's going to go with having a temporary manager, but the fact that he's staying involved as someone who seems to understand something about building football clubs. that seems smart. And then you've got people who can learn who can learn from him yep but if they're willing to if they're know. willing to and if, if you think if the club are actually going to listen to him yep we don't and, know any of this yet but and <laughs> we 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 don't know that's going to happen because i'm absolutely certain for example he didn't say give me no players in january please i'm sure he didn't and <laughs> he, got sure no he, players didn't. In, he got no players in january please so yeah. that's that'll probably be the first not listening situation yeah and maybe there are others if the club had a long-term view, not only would Murtaugh have some power, I have no idea if he's good at his job or not, but, you know, that person has to have some power. They'd also have control of the budget, and I'm absolutely certain, with complete yeah. clarity, that that is not going to happen, that the budget is still going to be controlled from Tampa. Why would they change anything? Well, yeah, because that's, that's always what it's about. So it's an ATM. Yeah. So, you know, oh, God, this all feels very negative. I mean, at least if we can just have some good stuff on the pitch now and again. <laughs> would, yeah, ex- uh, I mean, I was pleased. This is such a minor thing to be pleased about. I can't even call this clutching of straws. I was surprised at Burnley that Mata was on the bench yeah. and Hannibal wasn't. Yeah. And I just thought, what on earth is the point of that? Like, where's, if Mata's the answer, then you're getting, you don't know what the question is. But I was pleased that Hannibal was back on yes. the bench. And I feel that like if Hannibal played for Klopp, he'd be, he'd be in the team already. He's 19 now. Yep. And I guess the difficulty really is, is that if you were, if you were to pick Hannibal, you'd pick him instead of Pogba because you need your, your one defensive midfield player and Bruno, you have to pick. Yep. But Pogba's actually playing all right. He is for now. The history of Pogba tells us that, that there's no guarantee that carries on. But he's he's been good in his three games back, I think. He was good yesterday. I mean, he, I think I felt like he was culpable against Burnley when they when they started. I mean, he got called out by Ralph. He said the two number eights weren't doing it. Yes. And I feel like, I think, I mean, we're playing now a little bit like City do. In that they have basically a six and two eights. Yep. But the difference, number one, is that their eights properly put it in yep. a Bruno runs a lot but he doesn't always run in the right way yeah and he's as much a 10 as an 8 and but also I feel that like the way the run the reasons their system can work aside from the fact they have better fullbacks is that they have so much of the ball that they can get away with having just one holder in midfield because United, the risk is less yeah for sure you know there's almost no risk because most of the time yep. the other team can't hurt you because they're defending they don't have the ball United don't play like that. United, United are trying to get the ball forward quickly. I mean, City are as well, but they might hang on to it and pass it and pass it yes, and pass yeah. it. United, United, they're not capable of doing that, but also that's not the plan. No, and they have players, I mean, especially if you're playing Pogba alongside Bruno, who just take risks all the time. I mean, I, mean, I would say one thing about Pogba, and he's never going to be that complete all-round midfielder that Jose Mourinho moaned about all the time. He's just never going to be that now. He's nearly 30. We, we know what we get out of him. So you accept that or you don't accept it. But in this system with two eights, it looks much closer to the France midfield, albeit with no N'Golo Kante in there. So which makes a big difference. Much closer. And it's much more balanced. And I think there's more chance that we'll get the better parts of Pogba out of him than, than not. But it's with him, there's, there's always going to be that trade-off. And Unfortunately, we don't have anyone in the, in the in the squad or the team that that's, can kind of fully balance that out. You know, it's Cotman Tomine is not that. And you have this situation now where you feel like there aren't enough good players in the squad, and I feel like I want him to go because I think that the balance of the team isn't right. But it does almost sometimes feel counterintuitive as well that you're basically shoveling one of the few quality players that we have out the door. Yeah, and yet it does feel to me like 
he does have to go out the door. Oh, Leicester have just scored. Leicester two, Everton, uh, West Ham one. Ah, oh, interesting. Uh, Not about weekend's work, all in all. <laughs> well, actually, it might, it might turn into a decent, yeah, Arsenal didn't play Spurs last team, West Ham lose. What them. a valuable point that was. They got against Southampton that uh, they'll be saying as we have our open top bus celebration for fit, getting into the Conference League in May. Yeah, exactly. The, the scaffold Reds will be out there celebrating fourth place trophy. <laughs> and this will be one of those turning points of the season. That glorious one all home draw against Southampton. Jeez. Uh, uh, it wasn't even that exciting, the football, to be honest. I mean, we haven't even talked about the game that much because it wasn't it wasn't that great. I mean, United had 30 we've shots seen it against... Before. We've seen it all before. 30 <laughs> shots against Borough, 22 against Burnley, 12 against uh, Southampton. The way that Brighton play, they will pass and pass and pass and pass. So we'll have like three shots against Brighton. It's not going to be an open game. And it's just getting duller. So we'll see. Anyway, do you have anything else to, any other thoughts on Burrow or should we, should we Dull get and getting duller. Dull oh. and getting duller. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that does feel like there's a good performance in them. And once, and a lot of these issues that we're talking about, some of them are systemic, as we say, like Sean not step, stepping up and all of that, yeah. but it's also just confidence issues. Yep. And if they can... Is it the case that is it we've not won consecutive games since the first since the beginning of the season? Is that so right? I, I don't I don't know. But I, it's there's something something embarrassing and silly of well. that. Yeah, and it's they just need to string together a few results, and really that that should be where we are now. They should have strung together three or four results over the last games, and they haven't. And this is where this is where they got to do it. But they've got running out of chances. But yeah, if they could win the next two they should win the next two, then you start to talk about being in an all right position, probably. So yeah, that will always be the hope that for all the systemic issues, tactical issues, personnel issues, the thing that is really holding them back at the moment is also confidence. Yeah. And, and a couple of wins be, would help. Would help. That, can, yeah. that can be changed because the, 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 the level of performance they've hit in these other games has been enough for results before. And if they're just able to string a few results together then the performances will go up again yeah. i think oh man did, did i persuade you i'm not sure if i persuaded myself not not really as an aside before we get on to brighton did you see any of the stuff with wayne rooney over the last week because I, I thought i'd get your opinion on that one i did talk about it with tom in midweek but there's been quite a few interviews on his uh, book tour at the moment with them um, i haven't watched the film yet i've seen i've seen some of the some of the interviews and all the yeah, yeah i guess the headlines as well yeah and i mean he comes across quite a stew rooney that he does when he does. like when he went into fergie that time and said right i'm off yep it was hard not to sympathize with him yep yeah yeah and they're like who I... do you even hate now your best player is trying to go to man city but the reasons for him wanting to go to man city are strong that he's at his peak and the club well he was right <laughs> yeah the club are letting him down the club are not selling good players replacing them with nonsense yeah. and they're not competitive in the way that they were before and it's just the thing well, is he was right and then fergie played a blinder and kind of tugged at everyone's heartstrings and and said how could he hurt us like this sort of thing and everyone was like, oh like fergie because fergie had more bank of credit than Rudy, even though they both had a lot. But I think he's smart, much smarter than people give him credit for. And he, he's obviously, I mean, they got smashed by Middlesbrough yesterday, but he's obviously doing a good job in the most difficult circumstances. It's interesting to wonder what job he's doing. Is it just that he's Wayne Rooney? So the players want to impress him. They want to play for yep. him. And he's inculcated some determination, some siege mentality. Yep. Or is there more to it than that? Is he a talented coach? We Obviously, we don't know. Or, but you could see, you could see that it's just those beginning bits. Yeah. It's just literally, it's the fact that the players want to please him because he's him and they like him and he's, they're sticking together because they're in a terrible circumstance. But at the same time, I remember giving it, I think it was when he was on Monday Night Football with Carragher and Gary Neville once. He was talking about how if United went down to 10 men, Fergie wouldn't rearrange the team. They'd leave it to the players to do. And I'm right. sure Rooney would have been at the forefront of that. And I remember Fergie also saying Rooney was always like bothering him about tactics. We should play like this. If you thought, yes, yeah, yeah. at the point where he always knew he'd be in the team, I guess he was able to speak to the manager about what the team should be in a way that other players won't because they're sort of chivying for their spot in the team. They're, they're playing at an angle, whereas Rooney's definitely going to be in the team. So he could say, well, why don't we play like this and like this? Because he's not somehow saying, let's play like this to get me in because he's in. 
Yes, yeah, so it's really hard to tell with managers early in their career whether, you know, what what's going to come of them, right? So, you know, Oli was the same. He was on as a manager about tactics. He was a student of the game. He turned out to be a bit of a crap manager. Yeah, which was weird because he was, in the, first, in the beginning, he was trying quite a lot tactically. He was also trying stuff from set pieces. I remember they scored a goal. I think it was against Southampton, actually, that game where Pereira scores the winner. And oh, they, the scored banger, from a set, yeah. they scored yep. from a set piece. I can't remember who it was, but him and Carrick were busy, like, proper congratulating each other on the touchline. Like, they... Because it's obviously something that they've planned, and it felt like the format, like the way they did it in Paris, was not genius. But at the same time, like some level of tactical preparation of how you, what you yes. do to get the win here, and it sort of be seemed to become less and less over the course of the time he was manager. Yes, I think so, he lost faith in himself. So we'll see with Rooney. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of rooting for him, to be honest. Like, he stayed too long at United and his performances waned so much. Well, Fergie, I mean, this, this was just ridiculous behaviour for Moyes, the greatest manager yeah. of all time, has basically done everything apart from driving, puck his bag. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's done all the hard work. All you need to do is follow it through. And yeah. Moyes, one of many aspects, decided that he knew better. Yeah. So and they give him a gigantic contract yeah. and they're stuck with him for longer. And it's just... Was just ridiculous behavior because Fergie, Fergie only ever really fell out with anyone when they were no longer of use to him. He yeah. didn't fall out with Van Nistelrooy in 2003 because Van Nistelrooy was the best striker in the world, maybe in 2003. What he didn't fall out with Keane until his legs went, yeah. he didn't fall out with Rude till the end. He, he didn't really because he ultimately is pra he's practical guy, Fergie. Yeah, yeah. And I he, mean, it's maybe only Yapstam was the one that was just a bit too early. Even, I mean, and even the Yapstam thing, I was talking about this on Twitter and, on the other day, and to me, I always thought that the reason Stam there really was the PLC said, you can have Van, you can have Van Nistelrooy and Veron, but you've got to get rid of someone. Yeah. And I always yeah. assumed that that was why Stam went. Someone else pointed out that... Uh, the and they Nandra, did get good for Someone else pointed out that the Nandrolone thing came very soon afterwards. Right. So perhaps they perhaps they were testing internally to maybe, and shipped him out very quickly. It also... I mean, we don't know, but also like that, that theory makes some sense. But yeah, yeah. agreed still that if he'd have kept Stan, we would have won the league in 02. Yeah. Anyway, uh, should we talk about Brighton then? Graham Potter's like scoreless. It's, it's amazing looking at a map of Brighton's position where they dominate the pitch, right? It's like everywhere except for the box. <laughs> <laughs> the data doesn't always help, but it tells a very good story about where Brighton are good and not. I mean, um, you saw, I think you're talking about all those, we saw each teams where they dominate the pitch, those figures, those they had a piece in the athletic, yeah, yeah. Which uh, the thing that the good teams all share is they dominate the area in front of the opponent's box. Yep. And for yep. all the levels of complicating, complication in football and analysis, yeah. It still remains relatively simple affair. Like you can co you can complicate it if you want to, but you don't have to to be successful. And if you're dominating that area in front of your opponent's box, you'll almost always win the game. And and it's interesting because they have very functional players in the central midfield there, but they it does help them keep the ball, and they have some pretty rapid wing backs if they play three at the back, which they do tend to which I think helps them get in good positions. But they clearly, they need someone more than Neil Morpé up front to score the goals. Super Danny Welbeck's not been doing it for them, funnily Mopé's enough. Mopé's another one of those players who thinks that he is stupendous. And he's a good player, Mopé. He's a good player, but yeah, is he a His step image of that? himself is a yeah, yeah. significantly more important footballer than he in fact is. He, he's running down his contract as well. I mean, he's not out of contract till 23, I think but uh, it looks like he's looking for his next move. I mean, it, it's interesting with Brighton because I, I, I bet Graham Potter thought, well, if you just spend a bit of money, because they're doing okay. You know, they've been in, what's their third season in the Premier League now? It's coming up. They've got their stadium. They've got a smart owner who understands where they are. And it's that kind of question next. Are they happy being this mid-table side where they trade players and they have to sell a few to in order to balance the books? Or do they want to push a bit, push a bit more, and they, they didn't want to push a bit more? I mean, more than it wouldn't necessarily get any better for them. So you, you know, you because it's no. the next level up is significant. They're now Premier League staple. You don't expect them to go down. You expect them, and you expect them to be around the middle roughly, and that will probably yep. continue. And I guess until Potter leaves, and then you again, you're not sure again because they won't have enough money to guarantee staying up. And it's about making the right appointment again when Potter leaves, but. He doesn't seem like he's going to leave. I mean, I was surprised if he wasn't in the week. I mean, if I was manager of Everton, if I was the owned Everton, I'd probably have tried to appoint Potter, not Frank Lampard. Yes. 
but Mashiri doesn't appear to make any, you know, he, he's running United uh, for who runs the worst club in the Premier League and uh, Everton, given that. There was, there was some stats uh, the last decade from CIES, the, the Football Observatory, about uh, how much money has been spent. So United at the top of, you know, all the big five European leagues for net spend and whether that's valuable number or not, I don't really know net spend but Everton were quite high up there as well in to terms have got of their absolutely spend. nothing out of um, it I say to have got absolutely nothing for it yeah. it's more of that with Everton that they've had yeah just at least even when United have been crap we've had and it's been a while since we won a couple of the trophies like we've beaten City a few times at least and that sounds like a terrible thing to hang on to but I mean it is because that's what City used to be but Everton now they can't win the derby yeah. like they can't where they, they're not getting their joy from anywhere really no, I, I would feel sorry for Everton fans, but, you know, I don't. I know, I know no, so, and every time, even if I was moved to that, I'd remember after we lost that cup semi on penalties in 2009, me and my dad yeah. were walking round Wembley, round past the Everton fans. And if ever I was to feel any sympathy for Everton, it was immediately removed in those <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes or so. Yeah, where it's just... Whereas, coming back to Brighton, there's, there's a lot to like about how the club have done it. Obviously, they had, you know, it's an injection of money, but they're, they're trying to do it sensibly. But they were nearly, they nearly didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago. Football ground sponsored by Amex is just so Brighton. <laughs> and so awful. And I mean, it's not, by, by, there are far worse stuff going on in football than that, but there's something just so telling about playing in a ground called the Amex. Like, the credit nature yep. of it. Just the, what, very specific American Express yeah. is yeah. just everything about how do you call a football ground a fucking Amex man? It's a different point, but it's interesting. There's very few grounds in English football, or at least in the top in the Premier League, very few grounds have a naming rights because of the historical nature of all the grounds. Think of an awful brand that uh, could be stuck on Old Trafford. Would anyone actually call it that? I don't know. So I think that suppresses the uh, naming rights until you get a new stadium, basically. But yes, Amex is, at least it isn't the Bet365 Brighton Bowl or whatever, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, 10 years ago, they, they were almost out. They had no ground. They were playing in Gilligan, you know, 2,000 people turning up for third division football or whatever. So, you know, they've, they've progressed a long way since then. And they've got some good players and they managed to convince Newcastle to part with 20 million for... Lewis Dunk, um, who's like... No, it's no, not no. Lewis Dunk, it's, um, Dan, it's Burns, Dan Burns, Dan Burns sorry, yeah. Yeah, the world's tallest left-back. I guess they figured that was a good amount of money for a 30-year-old who's uh, sort of all right. And they've got some good players. I mean, you know, I you'd probably slot... I mean, Adam Webster is a better player yeah. than Dan Burns. Yeah, exactly. They've got better alternatives there. And um, apart from, you know, the forwards problem, I guess Trossard might come back into the game. I'm not sure if he's fit or not. When they but... came to United... To play in the cup, I think it would have been maybe ninety-one. Right. They were wearing, they were wearing blue and white stripes, but they were also wearing blue and white striped yeah. shorts. <laughs> Brilliant! Uh, the proper like te Tesco bags, exactly. Or like, deck chairs on Brighton Beach. Yeah. Tesco bags. Yeah, yeah. And I will. That will always. Uh, I'll always remember Special. that. But um, is it, but Brighton is a, home's a difficult game. It was it was a difficult game last yeah. season. But that was it. Was in that run of games where you, for the, for the first time since Fergie, you felt that United would find a way. And they did. And they've, they've lost that, that ability to find a way to win in games that are kind of even, where they ultimately use the number of talented attackers that they have to get a result. And uh, yeah, that's not currently happening because the goals just aren't coming. But that's basically the difference, really, is that they're not able to override lack of running, lack of effort, lack of imagination with talent. The talent is kind of abandoned them for some reason so how do you how do you see this going i mean i, I don't think this is going to be a great game gotta say I, I think brighton will try and suck the life out of it and but nah, i mean we'd hope for a 2-1 win really yeah. wouldn't be something, like, something that. like that and i mean i think they kind of think what team will will he drop ronaldo at, for this one uh, only if cavani's fit but it's a groin injury so apparently so can't see it the other one is, you, the, as I said, you, you drop, you leave him out, and you pick a, and you pick a langer. I mean, I sort of also wonder if there'll be a change in midfield. Fred, Fred might be available, so yeah, it could be. Because United also they are playing four four three, four three three. Sorry, and yeah, if Brian yeah. played three five two, I would say that generally, that I like four three three is the way that I like all good teams should play. The best teams you play four three three basically most of the time, 
but it's actually 4-3-3 is not always a good way to play against 3-5-2. 4-4-2 can actually work quite well because it means you can exploit, it means you've got over those on the flanks and, yes. and you've got two strikers against three defenders, not three yes. blokes marking one bloke, which you have to, yep. you sometimes get with 4-3-3. So it, it may be, maybe you move to 4-4-2, you play Fred and McTominay, Bruno behind the striker, Bruno off, Bruno off Ronaldo, I don't know, and then Sancho and Rashford as wide players in a 4-4-2. But then you're leaving out Pogba, who's playing quite well at the moment, one of the better yeah. players. So I don't know, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be totally surprised if they tried, some, if they did something a little bit different, or if they were forced to go some somewhere different when it turns out not to be working. Because I'm not sure that, yeah, that the way the United play is because Brighton will have the will have the same number of men in midfield, yeah. And uh, I think if United's wide players can force back Brighton's wing backs, then then they're in business. But it will it yes. will require that. Yeah, well, it, it, we may see them. We, we may see Sancho and Rashford fairly wide as a result in order to do that. And the, both fullbacks, I mean, assuming that Dello and Shaw play, will push forward as well. So there could be overloads there. Yeah, um, we'll see Basuma's back. I, I do like the look of him. I mean, he's the kind of nasty bastard in midfield that United could really do with. No, I'm not saying they should you know, necessarily sign him, but that kind of player. He make his his the number of tackles and the interceptions he makes are like way ahead of everyone else in the league. He loves a tackle. Yeah, he's, I mean, Basuma's a good player, but he's not quite the player United would need, I don't think. I mean, he's better than what they have, but I don't think that he is. He's not a passer, and he's not. He's more of a box-to-box, I think. And I think if they do end he's up... He's definitely not a passer. If they um, do end up getting so, a number eight, it won't be him. It'll be... No. It won't be him. He would, yeah, no, he'd be a number six. Uh, and I assume he's back, because he was away with Marley, wasn't he, at the Cup of Nations. So, um Anyway, yeah, um, I've got nothing else to say on that. Any final, any final thoughts before we wish everyone well? <laughs> no, I guess we can, uh, we can leave it till the next portion of joy. Joy. So I'm um, NQAT Pod on Twitter. Dan is at Daniel Harris on Twitter and United Rewind. I think you still tweet from that one, don't you? Uh, I do occasionally, We're, and we should have some news coming from on that pod in the great. In the coming days, in the coming hours. Is that, is that the way one has, to, one has to announce it? In the next hours. Okay, that's, we're looking forward to that. It's a shame it stopped. Um, maybe you're bringing it back. That'll be good. And uh, We are also at Patreon, so Patreon backers, stay tuned. Everyone who's not a backer, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod. We do an extra show each week for a you know, price of a pint. So if you'd like to back us and if you don't want to do that, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Just hit five stars and say whatever you like. After that, the algo doesn't care. So, you know, you can say you'd rather we talked about City and Liverpool and how wonderful they are, which unfortunately we do fairly often on this pod. Um, but apart from that, see you all. Bye now. Bye.